Hello and welcome to Cult Picks Radio, WCPX 66.6 on your pod. Uh, with me, once again, your host, Django Nudo. And me, the smut peddler. And we are super thrilled that we have our bestest favorites, no disrespect to other guests, Lisa Petrucci joining us from Something Weird on the line. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Rickard. Hi, Patrick. How's it going? Oh, my God. She blew our secret identity. Oh, no. Oh, no. Everything is lost. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Oopsie. Um, Thanks for having me. All is well. We have actually been up and running with Culpix for, is it 11 months now? We've gotten away with it for almost a year. So Mm. let's see if we make it to April. You know, if there's still a world, then we've not been blown sky high by then because there's other shit going on in the world. But we're going to politely ignore that and focus on what is a very, very, very special theme week curated by Smut Peddler and with great insights from Little Lisa. So, Smut Peddler, do you want to reveal what the big reveal is this week? Yes, it's it's actually just part one of something that will eventually turn into four parts, I, I reckon, because we are talking about the mighty monarch of exploitation, David F. Friedman, who produced so many films that we are doing a David F. Friedman part one this week. We're going to do a part two later on this spring. And then we are going to add on all of the Herschel Gordon Lewis films he participated in. So I don't know how many titles we're talking about, but it's a lot. It's a David All F. Friedman. in one place. It's going to be great. Mm. It's a cavalcade. It's extravaganza. It's a David Friedman Palooza. And as we are super conservative, we're doing this chronologically. So let's start at the very beginning. And the first film of his is indeed the first film of his, which is The Primetime from 1958, which already then had all the hallmarks, I would say, or most of the hallmarks and the kind of traits and the kind of salacious um, stuff, or as much as you can get away with in the kind of late Eisenhower era. So talk us in to the film, Lisa. Well, what was interesting was that um, Friedman was working for Kroger Bab um, at the time that he was making this film. Um, And it was a company called Modern Film. And for anybody who doesn't know who the legendary Kroger Bab is, he was probably one of the greatest exploiteers of all time when it came to exploitation films. And, um, you know, he was most well known for, you know, road showing mom and dad and birth of a baby films. And Dave Freeman cut his teeth in the exploitation film business by taking, you know, birth of a baby films out on the road and hit often like be the noted sex uh, hygiene commentator do that shtick is um, his persona was Alexander Leeds or Roger T. Miles. So he was already like, you know, get, getting a good taste of like what it was like to make low budget films. So he, I think he just, just decided um, in the late fifties um, after he had met Herschel Gordon Lewis um, that he wanted to produce some films and Herschel had the money to make a film, which was good incentive. And they made the prime time, which was shot in Chicago and probably best known because um, it was Karen Black's film debut. Yes. And what's interesting about this film was, you know, at the time there was a lot of juvenile delinquency films being done. And obviously there were on the pulse and aware of things that were going on at the time. So this was like a a pot boiler melodrama, you know, with teenagers, but always the teenagers in those films sometimes looked a little older than normal teenagers. So, um, and I always find it funny when like middle-aged guys make like a, a counterculture film. Um, so they definitely brought their own perspective to it. And maybe Rickard wants to. Um, no, I'm just, just I'm just thinking of what you're saying that that <laughs> the ling- the I mean the the lingo is the funny thing that they tried to to you know use the sort of hip hip words and and doesn't really fly. And also, you always need to have the bongos, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, there's a beatnik thing happening around that same time. But once again, it was what I've discovered with almost all of Friedman's films over the years is that, like, 
know, he would be totally aware of what was happening, like in the popular culture, but he would bring this like kind of square mentality to it or perspective, which um, it comes across kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> so, and, and this is a good example of that because definitely it wasn't like some young filmmaker making, you know, a movie about, you know, bad teenagers and, you know, trying to tap into like what was happening at the time. It was more like, you know, these middle-aged guys doing it. So what I love about, I was going to say about um, this generation of filmmakers, especially exploitation filmmakers is they understood and they worked both sides of the industry. It's not like today, you know, you complete your superhero film, finish the mixing, editing, throw it over the wall. Somebody else does a distribution, make sure that it plays somewhere out there and makes its money back. I mean, they saw it through from beginning to end and, and they were working as hard when the film was finished as they were in putting the film together. And because they knew it wasn't some opening weekend that was going to make or break it. It was, you know, they had to create a life for these films in so many ways that just aren't happening today with drive-ins, posters, sensationalism, everything. And in the case of Friedman, I mean, that was what he was best known for. I mean, he was like a master of ballyhoo. And, you know, one of his favorites saying was, you know, sell the sizzle, not the steak. So yeah. mm-hmm. when Friedman came into, you know, making, starting making his own independent films, like his ad campaigns were incredible because, mm-hmm. you know, all those years of working at Paramount and, you know, just absorbing all of this knowledge and whatnot, you know, from Kroger Bab, um, he came out the gate strong. I mean, so like when you look at the press books or the posters for, you know, a movie like Primetime, it's like, wow, that looks like a great movie. And then you get it and it's like, <laughs> eh, it's okay. But, you know, it got him in the door and that was the most yep. important thing that these they guys They parted were, with the money by money. that stage. So, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But isn't the thing though that they, they always said that this is the best or biggest film ever, whatever it was. Pretty much. daring or the worst or... Mm. But I mean, also, it, it really fits what you're saying, because Dave Friedman was billed here as production supervisor in charge of advertising, publicity and exploitation already then. Yeah. Not as the producer. Well, that was his strong points was that. I mean, you know, both he and Herschel brought something to the table. And I mean, obviously, mm. I mean, Herschel, other than the money, he was, uh, you know, he was a I will, I will use this term very loosely, a great director in his own right. But, mm. you know, Dave didn't want to direct the films. I mean, he knew how to sell the films and yeah. they both stayed in their lane and they did really well. But he was, but was he was a early. showman I mean, in, yeah. again at the risk of talking over my esteemed colleague. <laughs> he was a P.D. Barnum, you know, for the exploitation film industry. He was he, he got them through the door or onto the, into the drive-in or whatever. And, you know, that, that is such a skill. Oh, totally. He was the best. I've had women before. <laughs> they liked me. They thought I was gentle. <laughs> you keep laughing like that, I'll slit your throat. Nobody laughs at me. Why not? You're nothing but a clown. Hurry along now. Better not keep Tony waiting. You'll really be in trouble. He's liable to spank you. (laughs) Go ahead. Laugh. But if there's any trouble... Any trouble, I'll have to get rid of you. <laughs> and I think also now we, we we can see also in this, the very first film, and this is sort of a segue into to, uh, the next film, The Defilers from 1965, you already see his trademark of women being beaten or tortured. True. Um, one of the things that, that's funny about uh, Friedman too is like he brought his own personal quirks and fetishes or things that mm. he you know, was passionate about whether it be carnivals or spanking and whipping um, to the films, <laughs> and, I mean, which I don't know, it, it makes them kind of like um, a, a special like inroad into his mind. Yeah. In some it's, it's a recurring theme, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's the auteur in him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I just think he liked to watch girls getting spanked and whipped. <laughs> Probably. So, so Lisa, um, well, we, we talked before and that, that you, you will sort of 
do do dig into the films that you're really sort of into from his oeuvre? And, and what would your next film be to to talk about? Well, you just mentioned The Defilers, and I know that you recently had a Lee Frost theme week. And Defilers was the first film that Dave wrote, produced, and he didn't direct it. Um, Byron Mabe did, but he definitely oversaw the direction because it was Byron Mabe's first real de- directorial debut. Mm. Um, and he had started working for Sunny Amusement Enterprises in 1964. And at the, this was after working with Herschel Gordon Lewis um, when they were doing uh, Color Me Blood Red, they both decided to part ways. And yeah, and yeah, this was it, in 63 when they made the Blood Trilogy, right? Yeah, 63 through, <clears throat> excuse me, 64, they were making yeah. Blood Feast, 2000 Maniacs, and then Color Me Blood Red. And right. they were starting to have some issues on the set during all three of those films. I mean, there were some issues that were coming up. And I think by Color Me Blood Red, um, they just, they, I think they had a fight and they just went their separate ways. Um, they don't really talk about it too, too much. Um, hmm. What the specific reason was, we've heard a lot of theories, but um, in any case, they both went on to do very different things. I mean, well, Herschel continued doing gore um, and then got into some other genres, but uh, Dave kind of sunk his teeth into the you know, nudies and sexploitation business, um, even though he and Herschel had made some nudie cuties with Adventures of Lucky Pierre. Um, and they had done some nudist colony films with Daughter of the Sun and Belle Bear and Beautiful um, and Nature's Playmates. Um, I think Dave felt more comfortable and definitely in his element making sex films. So The Defilers, he has actually, you know, gone on the record to say that, you know, he invented the term roughy, which is a dramatic mm. black and white film that features sex and violence. Um, He'll claim, he says that like Scum of the Earth, which was another film that he and Herschel did together, was the first roughy. Um, you know, there is a little bit of nudity in that and, um, you know, very, very kind of tame. But um, the Defilers pretty much defined. And even though there were some other people making films that were roughies, like, you know, Joseph P. Mara was making the Olga's House of Shame and White Slaves of Chinatown and those films and um, the Finleys were making, you know, Body of a Female and um, Sin Syndicate and other like classic sexploitation roughy films. Dave's The Defiler stands out. I mean, mm. it's it's the one that like, you know, if you ask like what's a roughy is, that will come up in the top five movies. Um, and it's what's interesting is that it did have all of the, you know, things that he liked and like, you know, women being abused or, you know, implied that they're being abused and beautiful young blonde woman. That was kind of his cast typecasting that he had. Mm. (laughs) He definitely had a type. Um, And he, you know, was able to make a really strong film right out the gate. So, um, and in fact, you know, when, if I look at his entire over, um, I would say the defilers is, his best film other than she freak given the fact that there was still so much that couldn't be shown in the mid 60s that it had to work more with with atmosphere and um you know implied things i i don't doesn't make it a a better film doesn't make it a more interesting film i think so i mean because like there's what you don't see is what builds the tension in a film and especially in the in the case of like they were still trying to figure out like what they could and couldn't do when it came to sexploitation i mean if, if you look at the history of, of the genre you know when they started making nudie cuties basically you know you could just show a woman's breasts and behind and it had to be in a really silly comedic um context and then you know you also could do nudist camp movies which were wholesome and you know there's like or naked because it's like a great thing to do. And, you know, the sun and health and all of these other reasons, you know, Mm. but when you start putting sex and violence in a film, you've got to be able to like put that in a context, like some of the earlier roughies, like, you know, would, you know, maybe have like a crawl at the beginning or like a, a square up as they would say, just to say, you know, the reason we're showing all of this is because, you know, we want to teach you about, you know, Mm 
something (laughs) exactly exactly but in the case of the defilers it was just like you know gratuitous violence and you know um sexploitation for the sake of it and um obviously it it did really really well in the box office so i mean dan sunny from sunny amusement enterprises pretty much gave dave carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to do from that point on strongly suggested little janey be a little more cooperative so that Collie does not get mad. I told you, Collie's a lover, not a fighter. And Collie just wants to make love to the nice chick, not hurt her. So baby wants to play the scene rough. Holly likes to roughhouse himself. Then going into the, the next film from 66, The Notorious Daughter of Fanny Hill, that's also like part of his his career, isn't it? The period pieces, the costume films. That must have cost a bit to, to you know, make those costumes and wigs and stuff like that. Well, it was definitely a bigger budget film. Um, knowing Dave, he probably had access to the costume department at one of the stu- major <laughs> studios or, or a minor <laughs> studio. Um, and it, it, what was funny was a lot of the other, you know, sexploitation film producers at the time, Harry Novak, a few of the others were making historical sex dramas. And I mean, to me, they're really boring. Um, although the fact that, you know, they're, they're really beautiful and lush and, you know, fun to watch, but the stories are just kind of big snore. Um, but what stands out about Notorious Daughter of Fanny Hill was that um, there was a, a woman who, woman, she was a girl at the time, I would say, um, that Dave discovered on a beach in Santa Monica. She was like some kind of waif out there begging for change to get hot dog or something. Hmm. And Dave just thought she was gorgeous. And he's like, Hey, you know, have you ever thought about making any movies and basically took her under his wing and she became the star of notorious daughter of Fanny Hill. And her name was Stacy Walker. And um, she also starred in another film with Dave um, smell of honey, swallow of brine. And I think out of all of his leading ladies, she stood out the most and he was also the most, you know, enamored by her. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, she had a short-lived career, and um, there's lots of theories about why that was. Um, and maybe someday I'll I'll tell the real reason. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I can't do it right yeah. now, as long as uh, Dave's. Yeah, th- th- there's reasons. So, yeah. the Count de Sade has arrived. Very good. Let's show him in. Kissy, my dear Kissy, my own true love, you look absolutely radiant today, my dear. Oh, Kissy, my dear, welcome me as only you can. Oh, joy supreme! So what what about the, the brick dollhouse? Because that's obviously more of a like a crime story but with with flashbacks of every everyone telling their own story but you'll see them all in flashbacks and they're all nude yes (laughs) what stands out to me about brick dollhouse is not the crime element of it but like probably the most famous scene in the film is like there's a pot party that's like supposed to be an orgy and it's like the most tame orgy you've ever seen and like ridiculous (laughs) like once again like what a pot party would be like through the eyes of a middle-aged square Square man yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um and and it it's funny when, when you look at dave's films um he had great cinematographers i mean Laszlo Kovacs is one of the people that worked on many of his films. Yes. So the color films are beautiful. You know, even if the film is crummy, um, the girls are gorgeous. And just the way that they're shot is really, really, you know, lush. So now, does anyone know where Linda is or why Min Lee was murdered? If you ask me, I'll say the motive was jealousy. Do you suspect Sandy? I'm not mentioning any names, but uh, men had no enemies. Carmen is right. Well, I don't know. 
could have been any one of those guys she put down. Like when? Like the time we had our party. And credit to Something Weird and its partners for having you know, not only found Rescued, but also brought these films back in such amazing quality wherever possible. I mean, they do, even today, pop some of them and, and just, they, yeah, look stunning. Well, yeah. one of the things, too, that people should know about Dave is like, you know, he, after he made all of these films and, you know, he, he was and more involved with like, you know, the American Film Association and some other things. Like he pretty much, you know, once they ran their course theatrically, um, he put them aside. So they mm. sat in storage for years and years. And, you know, there was a few, um, you know, VHS releases of things in the 1980s. And, you know, then came Mike Franey. And I think he had found a VHS tape of Rival Tales of Robin Hood. And, you know, at that time he was, he was bootlegging some stuff. We'll just come right out and say it. Um, mm. And he got a call from Dave one day and he was just like, hi, this is Dave Friedman and you're selling my movie. And Mike's response to that was, yeah, and people love it. They're selling like, you know, pink, hot pancakes. <laughs> and, and they talked on the phone and Dave said, well, I think we should probably meet and discuss this and whatnot. So, um, Mike flew to Las Vegas and met Dave Friedman for the first time. And, you know, they definitely could see a little bit of themselves in each other. Hmm. And Dave invited Mike to go to his film vault on Cordova street in Los Angeles. And he's, you know, still was keeping everything there. And um, we had been told that like, you know, Dave was like just dumping prints of his cause he just didn't see any reason to keep, paying for the storage and whatnot. So when Mike went to the archive, it was mostly film negatives and there were some, you know, cans of prints and whatever. And Mike just started asking questions like, what's this one? What's that one? And, and Dave just kept saying, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants mm. to see this. <laughs> and um, when Mike was there, he probably, I think he brought back like, you know, maybe six to 10 movies and, you know, some of the most important ones, obviously, but he asked Dave about space thing. And he goes, what's this? And Dave goes to him, that's the worst science fiction movie ever made. <laughs> he goes, it makes Plan 9 look like Citizen Kane. <laughs> this love thing was getting out of hand. But girls insisted on whispering lewd suggestions to me. I didn't know quite what to do. But if my plan worked, it would soon all be over. Of course, Mike wanted it. So <laughs> what happened is, you know, after Dave agrees to let Mike release you know this batch of movies and this was around 1993 92 or 93 it was before my time but i mean i kind of know the timeline um when he got his first royalty check he was just blown away he had no idea he goes you know kid you can have them all mm -hmm. so you know i don't think dave really knew that there was going to be that much interest in his you know past work well, um, because they, they only made the film for theatrical release, didn't they? They'd never thought they would be screened on television and they could never envision VHLC either. No, not at all. And I mean, especially too, like once the movies have run their course, I mean, having film archives ourselves, I mean, we know it's like storing film is a huge expense and, yeah. you know, keeping it under the right conditions and all this other stuff. And Dave couldn't be bothered by that point. So to have somebody come along and want to take it all off his hands and actually monetize it. Mm. Um, he was thrilled. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've probably said this a million times, but I have to say it again. It's like, you know, both Dan Sonny and Dave Friedman's, one of their favorite expressions was, you know, it's like a sack of flour, you know, shake it and a little bit more comes out. Mm. And that was the way they felt about the films. <laughs> like, you know, these films had already been exploited, you know, as much as they possibly could be, you know, in, in within you know the theatrical world and then to have these other opportunities coming out just a little bit more just keeps coming out and they just keep being profitable and and the, and the funny thing and we talked about this the, the last time we talked to you is that you you and and mike were in in sweden and or rather in scandinavia for two different film festivals back in the late 90s and what we at Club Super 8, who were organizing it, we basically copy-pasted everything you did. <laughs> we, found, we found our own Dave Friedman in Inge Ivarsson, the producer, and he was exactly the same. He said, no, there's no value in this old stuff. You know, I, I moved on. 
and then he started getting his paychecks and we, we got all of his rights. So it's thank you very much for, well, to you guys I mean, that, that that happened. I mean, I, I was thrilled to hear that, you know, when, when I, cause it definitely, I think every country has its, you know, exploitation film legends and those people should be like celebrated. When we look at the whole body of work that, you know, EVI Entertainment Ventures Incorporated, which is what Sunny Amusement Enterprises eventually became, um, you know, th there were a lot of different films and, and they all stand out on their own because usually a thematic thing, but what was the, I think probably the, the most remarkable um, th thing about any of Dave's films is the trailers and mm. the promotional yes. campaigns. And like, he was the one who like, who had the vision for all of the trailers and it's basically all the best parts of the movies and you almost don't even have to watch the movies, just watch a, you know, one of those long Dave Friedman trailers and it, they're just incredible. And I mean, he did, he, he could make movies because he was making little tiny trailers. All the more appalling in crimson stained color. You'll recoil in horror as something barbaric occurs behind the tent and tinsel of a monster midway on the alley of nightmare. You'll gasp in astonishment when you witness nature's human mistakes. You'll see it all and more when you see She Freak. Well, She Freak is almost a documentary um, in many ways. What a lot of people will say, you know, they'll complain about, oh, it's so boring. Like some people will say it's boring. And it's like, how can oh. you say that? Because it's like, there's so many scenes of, you know, the carnival being set up and, you know, just uh, shots along the midway and the amusements and, you know, all of the carny aspects are genuine. I mean, it was shot on a real carnival, which was um, owned by a man named Bobby Cohn from uh, West Coast shows. And, you know, Dave was friends with him, as well as the fact that like when Dave was a kid, I mean, he went to carnivals all the time. He would, you know, he ran off with carnival <laughs> as a teenager for a while. <laughs> um, it, it's the real deal. And as well as the fact that, you know, it was just shot so beautifully. I mean, like it makes your eyes happy to watch mm. it. I mean, mine anyway, it does. And the new restoration that we just did with Agfa, um, it was, you know, a, a 4K scan off of the negative. It's dazzling. Yes. It's just incredible. Um, so it, the, She Freak is a very important film to Friedman in so many ways, not just because like it, it was probably the most mainstream film that he did, but mm. It was a labor of love and it was him putting everything out there, his heart and soul. And um, to me, it's a, I mean, it's a masterpiece. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to behold a sight so strange, so horrifying, so utterly monstrous that I urge those of you who are easily frightened or upset, who suffer from nervous disorders, weak hearts or queasy stomachs, who experience nightmares and any children under the age of 16 years, or go witnessing this exhibit. And then we have, I, I think this is so great, There She Blows. That must have been a, a pretty darn provocative title back then. It was. And, you know, what I've seen over the years is, you know, occasionally I'll see ad mats that were in newspapers and, um, you know, because there's a few groups on social media that, like, they go in and they way down the rabbit hole and they find, like, the original newspaper ads for a lot of sexploitation films. And a lot of times the words are changed because, mm. you know, that was definitely provocative to say yeah. the least. Yeah. But, you know, once, once again, there's Dave coming up well. with a new theme to, or like, you know, context to put naked people and, you know, naked people having sex. So there's John Alderman. He's one of the stars of many of Dave's films um, in that one, but it was on a boat. So it was like, you know, boat sex. Yeah, but with, with castration. <laughs> well, got to have something in there. To... Sheila, a waterfront tramp who in a moment of despair yeah. promised a holocaust of ecstasy, but delivered oh, man's most dreaded Listen. and final humiliation. Why don't we take the bowel, go up to my room and we can make some plans. Just to throw in a, a non-David Friedman related anecdote from that same year um, was another 
uh, semi-cult classic, if you remember, uh, The Monkees, who put out Head. And mm. do you know why they called the film Head? No. It's, no. it's so that when they made a second film, they could put on the poster, from the people who gave you Head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then speaking of Head, uh, we have the Head <laughs> Mystery. You stole my segue. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, once again, like there's Dave going back to his, you know, historical, mm. um, you know, nudies. And, you know, D Dave was an actually very educated man. Um, you know, he read all the classics. Um, I think he liked to bring a, a little bit of like, I don't know, just fanciness to some of the films. So with the headmistress, it was based on that um, Boccaccio uh, Decameron story mm, yeah. and you know he ended up putting in um this actress marcia jordan who appeared in a lot of the los angeles nudies in the mid to late um 60s and early 70s um she actually was even in, in some of the earlier nudie cuties like dr sex she pops up in that um but anyway um she had more of a matron. She kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Chesty Morgan, but not quite as, <laughs> as okay. large Chesty. and whatnot. <laughs> uh, but she was you know, a very kind of matronly looking woman. And she had a beautiful face, um, but she looked like she could be somebody's mom. So that she ended up being the headmistress character in this. And uh, being the headmistress, she gets to like, you know, whip and spank and do all the things that Dave loved to girls, so. I'll teach my girls to play around with men. The drug should be worn off by now, just in time for your punishment. And then moving on, I mean, he produced at least four or five films in 1968. And, and I don't know, um, the, the sort of Western sexy movie, we've come across a couple of those and, and I don't really get that genre myself. Well, once again, I, I think that um, if you look at what was happening in just mainstream cinema, um, Westerns were really popular. And also in Europe, I mean, you've got all the spaghetti Westerns mm. that were being made. Um, you know, in 1968, he made Brand of Shame, which you'll like this one, uh, Django. Okay. It's, yeah. uh, well, because the Django. other title is New Django um, oh, for that. Yes. Yeah. So, so or yeah, in German, it was Django Nudo und die lüsternen Menschen von Porno Hell. Ah, Which is Mango yes. Nudo and the Lustful <laughs> Ladies of Porno Hill. Only the Germans need a thorough explanation of the I, content of the film. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, okay. So, out of all of, you know, I have my likes and my dislikes. I do not like those Western nudie movies. Nicht Fanny Hill, Nicht Terence Hill, Porno Hill. Django Nudo. Django and David F. Friedman never held, held back much on the posters, but the poster for this one is pretty much as out there as any of his films, I'd say. Yeah. Um, this is just a fun fact. Um, Dave ended up giving Mike and I um, all of the original art for most of his posters and press books. And we do have the painting for that. So wow. for a few years, you know, when our kids were younger, I mean, they, they grew up around this stuff, but they obviously, you know, they never saw any of these movies, but they, you know, have seen paintings and photos with like, you know, topless women and whatever. Well, we had in a, one hallway in our home, a bunch of the Friedman paintings, you know, kind of hung salon style. And like, they'd go in the hallway and just laugh. I mean, they thought it was really for their like point and laugh. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like maybe we shouldn't have this up here. Like their little friends are going to be seeing this. And it's like, it's, it's you know, it's film history. <laughs> That's the way we look at it. So yeah. And, yeah. They, and they grew up to be open-minded people. Yes, very much so. And they're, yes. you know, they're, they didn't turn into degenerates. Yeah. And, you know, but, also in 1968, he, once again, another historical film, he made Lustful Turk um, about an 18th century harem. And apparently it was the most expensive adult film ever made, mm -hmm. um, which 
who would have thought? Whatever um, that says, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, in the description it says it's the kinky adventures of Emily, a blue-blooded English lass. She set sail for India with her comely handmaiden, Eliza. While at sea, they are girl-napped by Algerian pirates and end up in a <laughs> Turkish harem, subjected to all kinds of degradation. You know, insert spanking, whipping, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a glorious sight she exhibited. Beautiful breasts, finely placed, sufficiently firm to support themselves. Hair, shoulders, belly, thighs, legs, everything was deliciously voluptuous. Soon this lovely whiteness shall be mixed with a crimson blush. Ah, uh, Ali, but what struck my fancy was the beautiful whiteness roundness and swell of firm flesh of her lovely little posterior. And around this time period, um, a lot of these films were being directed by Byron Mabe, who, you know, got his start as starring in The Defilers. I actually accidentally said he directed, he did not direct Defilers, he starred in it. Um, yeah. And, but he was brought on as an assistant director um, on Defilers. And if prior to that he had been from New York City and had worked for Barry Mahon so as both an assistant director and you know just appearing as a character actor in some of the, the nudies that Barry Mahon was making so um, Dave and he had a like a really good working relationship for many many years I mean obviously he did a great job on She Freak but it was during this like you know mid to late 1960s period that um, Byron was making, you know, was directing the films as B. Ron Elliott. And oh, yeah. um, it wasn't until Space Thing that he and Friedman had a little bit of a falling out. I, I think like when you have a lot of big personalities on a set, um, you know, things don't, can, can always fall apart. Um, maybe that was the issue with Herschel and Dave. You know, yeah, and, and I mean, these guys stuff. were all larger than life, weren't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> To make that, you know, career choice, I think you would have to be. Yeah, and there yeah. you go. Once again, 69. Um, Dave's making another Western, the Ramrodder. Um, but by 1969, what had changed is that you could actually show even more um, on film because, you know, obscenity laws had changed here in the United States. So you start to see, you know, Bush by... Mm the late 1960s but by 1969 like it, it was kind of going into softcore porn um territory so um basically taking you know another western theme in this one it was a cowboy falls in love with a indian princess and they're you know getting down and dirty and um in the description spices but while gentry is showing tawana his six shooter Indian native Kachina is killed by a toothless barman. <laughs> so, I mean, there's always these weird character actors and like twists and like things in Dave's film. So, since he didn't do it, he'll walk into their arms and well, a certain death. How do you know he didn't do it? Because he was with me. You, fine, you filthy little redskin. Don't think you're gonna turn my Rick into a squaw man. I'll tear you apart first. As, as an idea for, for a Friedman retrospective is, of course, to include his sort of last hurrah, the, uh, the uh, documentary that Something Weird Video produced called That's Sexploitation. Yes, and that was directed by Frank Henenlotter and uh, co-produced with, with Mike and uh, our friend Jimmy Maslin. Who, you know, we included all the Doris Wishman and Herschel Gordon Lewis footage in that yeah. as well. Um, and I did all the art direction and stuff, but it was very much a, a like a group collaborative effort um, because all of us were familiar with different parts of the library, some more so than others, you know. So when we were trying to come up with like the idea, because I mean, that's a huge span of time, you know, to mm. tell the untold story of, you know, um, Sexploitation cinema from the 20s to the late yeah. 1960s. This, I mean, we, this is the kind of stuff that Martin Scorsese, you know, <laughs> does a five part or four for HBO normally. Uh, and, mm. and, you know, of course, like the first draft of it was like five hours long. Yeah, and, you know, you can't, I wish I'd seen <laughs> you that. Figure out, I'd love that. <laughs> like, what do you cut out? Because that's a huge amount of time. Um, but 
what we loved about that film, it was the last thing that we did with Dave. And, you know, he had been having many health problems for like a few years. I mean, actually the decade after we had gone to Scandinavia mm. for the um, Something Weird Film Festival and, you know, in and out of the hospital for different things, just old age, you know, he was in his 80s, sure. was to be expected. Um, but he had been in a coma right before this documentary and we didn't think that he was going to be with us and wow. he came out of it. And if you, you know, when you're watching it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard just because, you know, he's not his same robust, you know, self that he had been in the past. Although, I mean, he's, he's sharp as a tack and, you know, he, he talks about all of these errors as if he was there. I mean, yeah. sorry, Dave, but you were a child in the 1920s when you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of those films were. But, but I mean, he, he, he's, he's super sharp and his memory is perfect. And, and also the way he speaks. If, if you didn't know him or had met him, you, would, you wouldn't think he was yeah. ill or anything. No, no, not at all. And I mean, he was the consummate professional and he was the person who had to be, you know, the voice and the narrator for this story. Mm. And, you know, we, I mean, it's, 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 for me, it's a hard watch now, mainly because, you know, I miss Dave so much. I mean, Mike and I spent more time with Dave Friedman than we did our own fathers, to be honest with you. And, you know, he was so much a part of our lives. And I mean, he was a mentor and a father figure, wasn't he? Yeah, very much so. You know, he didn't have his own children. So I think he kind of adopted us as his little bastards. So, um, (laughs) and literally, uh, but was the other thing is that, you know, because this was the last project that Mike worked on um, and before he was diagnosed with cancer. I mean, it's a really, really special thing for me personally yeah and um you know I, i'm really proud of it i mean it's definitely it like to, to be able to like you know go from that you know i mean that, that that's like a 50 year period of time that you're like trying to like put into two hours um i think we nailed it um we showed it theatrically and you know people loved it um we would do a thing where because we excuse <clears throat> me we're talking about like all, all of the different genres that happened over the years that, you know, related to adult cinema, you know, when we were talking about the sex hygiene films, like before we would screen it, we would actually um, have somebody do the shtick, um, mm. you know, as Elliot Forbes or whoever they were going to be. Yeah. Um, Tim Lewis, who used to work for us, was great at it. <laughs> you know, With a white coat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could have, have on a suit, jacket, and, you know, we had, we have thousands of like, of those sex hygiene pamphlets. So um, I'd been known to wear a nurse's uniform and go at the audience and hand them out to people and before our screenings and stuff. But um, we wanted to be able to like bring it full circle, you know, not just screen the film theatrically, but like have the audience have an experience like they would have had back in the day back then. You know? Well, that's, yeah. that's it, isn't it? That it's the David Friedman experience. It's not just a film by David F. Friedman. It is, you know, from conception to consumption, um, you know, in his spirit. Very much. So. And the other sad thing is that he never got to see it. Because oh. um, we finished it, uh, you know, after he had passed away, and I mean that that made us sad. But at the same time, it, it was such a wonderful way to honor him and all. Yeah, the, for you know, sure. His oh, he would have been proud. To, yeah. Oh, at, <laughs> yeah, kidding me. And you know, you get to see him in his context. You know, he's in his um, back building, which was he called his museum, surrounded by all of his carnival memorabilia and you know, various favorite posters from his own films and. The fabulous 60s, the uh, AFI, American Film Institute, clocked something like 900 nudies, nudie cuties, uh, nudist camp pictures and roughies made in that one decade. We all thrived, we all had a good time, and you know, the funny thing is, we turned out some pretty good pictures. We have actually this week also thrown in a Swedish TV special with both both Dave and Mike in their prime in 1999 in a cinema lobby in Stockholm. I was so glad you guys did that. One of the things, you know, like we were just saying about like having that Dave Friedman experience or like, you know, going on the road, like doing the Something Weird Film Festival in 1999 was a road show. 
And yes. we embraced that. And and you guys like stepped up. It was really amazing. I mean, doing doing a spook show, having Dave introduce his movies, um, all of the panel, anything like related to it. It just once again just went back to how these films were originally shown. Yeah, and we had like luchadores and we had uh, vampires and <laughs> you know tons of stuff going on. But I also remember that. Somehow, I don't know even if, if you knew that beforehand, but the screenings in Helsinki in Finland were at midnight. Yes. Mm. And Dave was there. Oh, are you kidding me? He stayed up later than any of us. I yeah. mean, we, we never, <laughs> ever tried to, you know, drink with him, drink for drink, or, you know, the, the man had a lot of energy, <laughs> even yes. in his old yeah. age. Mm. Um, when, one of my special memories when, from that festival was... Um, when you know we'd have the days to ourselves sometimes and you know both mike and dave weren't that interested in like doing sightseeing or anything so we have to find something that they'd want to do i mean you guys <laughs> knew about yeah. this like you know yeah. their their eating habits were different than you know yeah. everybody else's and whatnot but you know if anybody knows mike franey they know he's a highly functioning pothead and here we are you know he wanted to go to christiania <laughs> and <laughs> of course. we have dave in tow and he's like what do you think should we you know, do we bring him i'm like of course i mean he's you know <laughs> dave's been around yeah. um and we went there and you know mike went and got, got some weed and we're sitting in a park and you know i don't think that mike had ever smoked Hot in front of Dave before, but you know, Dave's no dummy. He must have known that you know Mike was stoned most. Sure. He could probably <laughs> smell it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and there's Mike, and Dave looks at him and goes, "Don't bogart that joint." <laughs> 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 to him, and Classic I just burst out laughing. <laughs> and so we're all sitting on the ground in a park, and I'm watching. I don't smoke, so I'm watching those two smoke a joint together. Oh, God so damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. And at the mm. same time, you know, he's like, well, you, you know, you kids didn't invent this stuff. And he goes, you know, I dropped acid with Cary Grant and proceeds to tell us that whole story. And I'm like, oh. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I miss Dave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was one of a kind. Well, and, uh, I should say that, you know, he will be, you know, once again, the sack of flour is going to keep getting sh shaked out. I mean, we... Yeah. Release She Freak on Blu-ray this past year with Agfa, and you know we did a super deluxe restoration of it. We also restored all of the trailers that we had for his entire body of work. That you know the ones that we did, I still have the trailers for, um, and that's a special feature on the She Freak disc. Mm -hmm. But um, the plan is in 2023 um, to start doing Dave Friedman collections with Agfa. So. 2022 wow. is the year of Doris Wishman. 2023 is going to be the year of David F. Friedman. Yeah. And I'm also working on um, a project that it's an unfinished project that he started. Um, many people know, know about his book, A Youth in Babylon, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which was like this incredible autobiography about how he got into the business and, you know, incredibly, you know, informed film history and just even you know, history, world history, because I mean, everything coincides with that. Um, but it ended in 1964 is where he takes the, the book to, and he was going to start another book. And he did, he wrote a book called Kings of Babylon, which mm. picks up at 1964 and goes all the way, you know, to the early seventies. Well, um, Dave lost the manuscript. Oh. Oh. I, no, I know. Um, yeah. That's, so was our reaction. So, he had actually sent us the first three chapters probably like in the late nineties. So I had them here in the archive. Um, we kept asking him over the years, I mean, especially after he got sick, like, you know, what's going on with your book? Because apparently the publisher said it was too long and they wanted him to edit it and he refused to do that. So a typewritten manuscript just sat there for years and years and years. And somehow it got tossed out and, Dave seems mm. to think that his wife might have accidentally like been cleaning mm. his office or something. It's like, how mm. can you like, it was huge. I mean, it was like, you know, Bible size <sighs> you know, typewritten things. How could, you know, you would think that's important. Nope. Um, and we ended up with like all of the paperwork from, you know, Dave's life. So I've gone through every piece of paper looking for it. But anyway, 
the first three chapters do exist and it's my intention to um, publish each one as a book because there's just so much incredible accompanying visual materials and wow. of course yeah yeah so i'm going to start something called something weird press this year and you know probably the, the first thing out of the gate is going to be the books for dave and um they're already written. I don't have to do any work except, you know, design them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, That's a, not a small feat. No, no, it is not. I know that. So, um, like I said, 2023 is going to be the year of David F. Friedman. Boys and girls, you heard it here first on Cult Picks Radio. And Lisa, on behalf of all of those of us who never had the privilege of meeting David Friedman in person, um, I just want to thank you for not just sort of giving us a glimpse of you know, the man, the myth, the, the movie mogul, um, but also for all all your your and Mike's life's work of, of sort of keeping his legacy alive and, and letting new people discover these films on cold picks, on Blu-ray, on DVD, anywhere, and in cinemas, hopefully, mainly too. So I know that this, is, this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. There's going to be more Dave Friedman on cold picks in the pre, you know, in books, in restorations and so much more. But this has been a really fantastic, um, you know, journey through part of his over. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's always a, such a pleasure. And uh, I hope that we can start traveling and see each other in real life soon. So, Great. until we do, take care. Thank you again, Lisa. This has been all from us for this week from Cult Picks Radio WCPX 66.6 on your smut dial with me, your host, Django Nudo. Me, the smut peddler. <laughs>